We'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 56 today in its entirety as we come close to the end of our continuing series in Isaiah. Just by way of reminder, remember that the good news that Isaiah is proclaiming is that our God reigns. And that good news has led us to be introduced to the servant by whom our God reigns. A servant who does not look like we might expect, does not act like we might expect, but a servant who accomplishes for us what we have proven ourselves incapable of doing, or perhaps unwilling to do. In either case, the servant secures for us the reign of God's grace and goodness. That such a reign, as unexpected as it might be, actually is an invitation to genuine life, a flourishing life, a life of celebration. Last week, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 55, we received, we watched as we received an invitation to the celebration of this king. It was a stunning invitation. It's an invitation that meets us while we are happy making mud pies and says, give up on your mud pies and come and enter into the celebration of the king. So many of us hear that invitation to leave our mud pies behind and come to the celebration as a mean statement because we love our mud pies. And he says, oh, but you're going to love the celebration more. Do I have to leave my mud pies? You're going to want to leave your mud pies because the celebration is grand. And today, in Isaiah chapter 56, we find ourselves arriving at the party already in progress. Read with me Isaiah chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. All you beasts of the field come and devour all you beasts of the forest. His watchmen 
are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond all measure. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God to us, our gracious and loving God, our Father God, who reigns supreme by his servant, even his servant Jesus Christ. So let us go and ask that he would feed us and feast us upon this word. So, Father, we come to this, your word. It is a good word. It is an unexpected word. It's a discomforting word. It is a word of amazing grace. How desperately, Father, we need your spirit to grant us courage and wisdom to hear well. So, Father, we pray that you would do that by your Spirit. We pray also by your Spirit that you would protect these lips so that they may speak well. That you might be glorified. That your Son, Jesus Christ, might be high and lifted up. And that we, your people, may be changed to enter into the celebration. For we pray in Jesus. Amen. I grew up here in, um, in the Chattanooga area. And um, I grew up hearing, especially as we got into spring and into summer, all about Lake Winnipesoka. Lake Winnipesoka this, Lake Winnipesoka that. You're going to go to Lake Winnipesoka? It's like, no, of course not. People at Lake Winnipesoka are weird. People at Lake Winnipesoka are strange. They're not my people. I don't belong there. Well, several years ago, the Lord, in his infinite humor, um, granted us free tickets. And he said, how about that, Scottish Presbyterian? You going to turn down a free trip to Lake Winnipesoka? <laughs> well, no, that would be a waste of money. And so I went. And lo and behold, I got there. And I said, well, these people aren't so strange. These people aren't so weird. They're just like me. Let it settle. It's a parable. I do belong. You know how I know I belong there? Because when we went up and we gave the tickets that we had received for a free day at Lake Winnipesoka, they stamped my hand. I belong. This is where I go. I belong here. I belong here. Are you sure you belong? I belong here. Yeah. And it was so much fun. You know, it's really weird. This is just an insight into my childish heart. 
Um, you know how Lake, some of you don't know Lake Winnipesaukee. They have the, this um, massive field, basically, um, of lots and lots of picnic tables. And so you can bring your food in, you can set it there on the picnic table, you go and enjoy your day, you come back to the picnic table. And so um, it was a hot day, and so we had left the food uh, actually at the car, and then when we were about ready, um, I had to go out to the car. I had to go out of the gate and then back in. But I belonged. Yeah, I'm just going to go out to the car. Yeah, I'll be back. And you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. Isn't it fun? Isn't it fun? You come back in and you walk past all those people who are sweating in line waiting for their tickets. I belong. I belong. I have a similar experience. My heart goes pitter-pat when I get the little colored bracelet as Superfly. I belong. It's okay for me to be here. Nobody's going to say anything until two hours later. Or the other one, this is my favorite. My little clergy tag that I get for the hospitals, <laughs> I get to go places that you guys can't go <laughs> because I belong. We love to belong. We long to belong. We love our jerseys to show that we belong on the team. We love the stickers on our car to show who we belong to or where we belong. We love dad jokes because they make you look cool. Just because I'm in the in-group there and you're not doesn't mean that it's not true. Are you there with me? You're right there with me. Good. There are two of us in the dad joke club. Belonging. Who's in and who's out? Who belongs here? Who belongs here? Who are the intruders? Who are the intruders? Who are the privileged ones? Who are the outsiders? Who belongs? Some of you, and I venture to say most of you are saying, oh no. He's found out. I don't belong here. It's one of the basic questions that gives shape to our lives and to our culture. It's, it's how we know uh, where to go, where not to go. So what are the, what are the markers of belonging that you find yourself recognizing and responding to? What are the markers? Is it the way people dress? Is that what draws you towards someone or away from someone? Is it their language? Do they, can they say Westminster Confession of Faith 10 times fast without stumbling? Is it their accent? You're not from these parts, are you? What about behavior? What about the educational markers? What about job and career? What's one of the first questions that we ask right after asking our name? What do you do? Are you productive or not? What can you do? Or to go from speaking to meddling, what about coffee? 
Do you determine who you're going to hang with and who you won't hang with based on the coffee they drink? Or perhaps the beer? Or perhaps that they drink beer? What about food? What about the jokes you tell? What about the jokes you laugh at? What are the markers that you use to discern whether or not you belong among a certain group of people in a certain place? What are the markers that you use to discern whether or not the people around you belong? What are the markers that cause you to move towards others or to stay away from others? That's what's going on here as we arrive at the party. We've received the invitation. That alone was disorienting. We found ourselves thinking, oh my word, it's been misdelivered. It was misaddressed. There must be another Dan Gilchrist somewhere for whom this invitation was destined. But we took the risk. Maybe, maybe it wasn't misdelivered. And so we go. And today we've arrived and we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to ask three questions of our passage. We're going to ask, who's there? And we're going to ask, we're going to ask, who belongs there and how do they know? And we're going to ask, how in the world did that happen? We've heard the good news that our God reigns. We've met the servant. We've heard and received the invitation. And now we've come. And there is someone standing at the door saying, Welcome! This is what is in view in Psalm 84. If you want to read that today in your meditation, that I would encourage you to do that. It's a celebration of the presence of God and the joy of welcoming people into the house. But as is often the case when we receive such an unexpected invitation that we find hard to believe, whether that invitation is too good to be true, or even if it is true, we are somehow victims of mistaken identity, we ask, well, who's going to be there? Oh, what should I wear? What if I don't have anything to wear? <clears throat> and we often wonder if we actually belong once we do get at the celebration. We feel like imposters. Are they going to find me out, we wonder? Am I going to be exposed and kicked out? And so as we arrive to the party, we wonder, do we belong here? As we arrive at this party, do we belong here? How do we know that we belong here? How do others know that we belong here? What markers show that we belong in God's presence among God's people? The mark of the Christian. That is to say, the mark of a serious, genuine, authentic follower of Jesus. That is to say, the evidence that we actually belong at the king's celebration, that we actually have a place 
at the king's table, save for us with our name on it. As Francis Schaeffer reminded us in his book, The Mark of the Christian. The mark of the Christian is love. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, oh, I love. But we have to be careful because to say that the mark of the Christian is love is not to speak about just any old love, however we or our culture may desire to define it. But it is the bold and powerful love of the triune God as revealed in the record of his mighty acts in human history in general and in Israel's history in particular and most gloriously in the person and life and work of Jesus. All of that is preserved for us here where we are looking at it. The mark of the Christian is this love powerfully and boldly captivating us, transforming us, and compelling us. Such love is the evidence of the triune God's grace. Such love among his people is the continuing manifestation of the mighty acts of God's love in human history, even in 21st century Flintstone, Georgia. The lives shaped by such love are called throughout scriptures lives of justice and lives of righteousness. They are called lives of holiness. Because that's what the love of the triune God looks like. This is what it looks like to be the blessed one by the grace of God. The visible mark of God's grace by which one is marked as belonging in Christ, as belonging among his people, is the visible love of God that boldly and powerfully invites and draws and welcomes and embraces and reshapes people. It invites and welcomes the eunuch and the foreigner, the stranger and the enemy, the least, the lost, and the lonely. It's that love that is the mark of a Christian. It is by that mark that we recognize who's at the party, who belongs at the party, and it's also the mark that gives us a hint as to how it all happened. So we arrive, chapter 56, we arrive, we're welcome to the party, and we walk in and we say, wait a minute. Surely I'm not supposed to be here. Surely I got the address wrong. Surely this is not the party I belong to. Because these people are not the people I expected to be here. These are not the people I'd want to go to a party with. And certainly not the party of a king. And certainly not the party of this king. I must be in the wrong place. Why do you think he says that? Well, look. In verse verse 3, he says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord shall separate me from his people. In other words, let not the foreigner say, I don't belong here, because you do belong here. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. I have no hope, no legacy, no name, no descendants, no house, no nothing. 
For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs in verse 4, and thus says the Lord to the foreigners in verse 6, Welcome! Welcome to my party! I'm the king who reigns. And by the reign of my servant, welcome. You're not mistaken. The invitation was to you, eunuch. It was to you, foreigner. Well, that's a stunning thing. Because Deuteronomy tells us that eunuchs are not to enter the house. Because they are broken, they are deformed. They ought not to be here because they embody the very image of what it means to be unholy, to be unwhole, to be broken, to be shattered, to be without hope, to be without name, to be without standing. The party of the king is for people who are whole and beautiful and good looking. Why is the eunuch there? And the foreigner... Isaiah has already referred to the foreigner. The foreigner is, is the one who is, is all living in the outer banks of darkness. Sorry for the expression, those of you who are from North Carolina. At the outer reaches, beyond the reach of hope, beyond the reach of grace, beyond, exiled, sent away. What are they doing here? They're not supposed to be here. All the instruction books that I read said, not the eunuchs and not the foreigners. What are they doing here? And wait a minute. Who's not here? Verse 10. His watchmen are not here. The shepherds are not here. Brothers and sisters, that is a stunning realization. We get to the party of the king, and nothing is as we expect it to be. The eunuchs are there, and they're celebrating. The foreigners are there, and they're celebrating. But the shepherds are not. What's going on there? Well, to use Tim Keller's rubric of religious and not religious, that's part of what's going on here. Who's at the party? The foreigners, the the eunuchs, the the notoriously and infamously non-religious ones. Those who are explicitly excluded. And who is not there? The shepherds. These are the well-known religious ones. We might also include those who conceive of themselves as spiritual, but not religious. So the eunuchs and the foreigners, these are the ones who, for whatever reason, have concluded that I'm not religious. I don't need that stuff. Now, they may have come to that conclusion on their own. They may have despaired of their own ability to come and to please the gods. Or they may have looked and they may have seen that in the Bible it says that people like me are not welcome in the presence of God. 
So for whatever reason, however they came to the conclusion, these are the non-religious who just say, yeah, that's not for me. But there is another group of people that Tim Keller calls the religious. And I would add a sort of a second subcategory, and that is those who are, excuse me, did I say religious? The subcategory is that they're spiritual but not religious. And this is the ones that he means. In terms of religious, when he's talking about that, he's talking about the people who do all the right things. They pray in the morning, they read the Bible, they come to church. They do all the right things. In order to get something for themselves. Look at verse 11. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have turned to their own way. Each to his own gain. One and all. Come, they say. Let us get wine. Let us fill ourselves. Their diligent practice of religion is all about themselves, attaining their own goals, living for their own purposes. But then you have this subcategory that identified what we call the spiritual but not religious. And these are the ones that they pursue, they pursue a spiritual life, but on their own terms to accomplish their own goals and feel good about themselves. I'm spiritual. Love Jesus, don't just don't love his people. And so what do we find? We find that the very people that we encounter at the party are the people we don't expect to be there. And yet, the people that we thought were going to be there are in fact not there. And so then, we say to ourselves, huh, maybe the invitation wasn't a mistake after all. These people aren't so strange. These people aren't so weird. They're just like me. One who thought himself excluded, lost and without hope, separated from the people of God. That's quite literally true of us in this room. Most of us in this room, I'm taking a quick look around. I think most of us in this room would all fall into the category of Gentile, as the scripture calls it. Those who are lost without hope, aliens from the commonwealth of God's kingdom and God's grace. What are these people doing at the party? It's strange and it's really disorienting. And we find ourselves resisting it at every pulse because what our culture has taught us to look for, to discern who belongs at the party and to discern who does not belong at the party It's all turned around and upside down. Because we think it's the shepherds. We think it's the one who hold the positions of authority and power in the church. The ones who do it all right. Say all the right words at all the right times. That's what we think. And then we arrive and they're not there. And the last kind of people we think to find there are the people who don't have a clue about all of these things. What's the difference? What are we to be looking for then? What mark distinguishes those who belong at the party from those who don't? 
Is it, is it birthright? Is it positions of authority and influence? Is it education? Is it knowledge? Is it length of service? Perhaps it's a WWJD bracelet. Oh, you, really, you belong. Or perhaps it's a lanyard that you have hanging from your neck that says, yeah, I belong. I belong. The sad part is none of us have lanyards here. Maybe it's the certain clothes. That's it. Is it the certain clothes? We all believe that. Will you come to church with me? I won't go to church. I, can't, I don't have the right clothes. Because we believe that the right clothes is the marker of one who belongs in the presence of God. What is it? What I've just described is in fact what the shepherds believed. It's, it's, what, it's what the Pharisees of the New Testament believed. You have to look this way, you have to act this way, you have to speak this way on these certain days, on these certain times, and that will show that you are in fact in. It's what I call lip service for self-service. It's what Paul believed. You remember the story of Paul before we called him Paul. His name was Saul and he was raging on the road to Damascus because there were people who were claiming the name and yet had none of the markers. They were blaspheming the holiness of God. And on his way on that road to Damascus, who did he meet? He met the king, risen and reigning. He said, why are you doing this? Do you not know who belongs in my kingdom? And Saul goes, oh yeah, now I get it. And it took him years to process what happened to him on that day. Because it made no sense to him. It's what the older brother believed. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The younger brother says, Dad, die. Give me all your money and let me go. Live my life. And so he goes. And then one day he comes to himself and he realizes he has squandered his life. Not just his riches, but his life. But what does he remember? He remembers who his dad is. He remembers who he is. He remembers where he belongs, and, he's, and so he goes home. The older brother said, hey, dude, wait a minute. After all that I've done, you're just going to welcome him back? You're going to throw a party for him? Yes, the father says, because that's who I am. And in so believing, they reveal that they neither know the host of the party nor understand the celebration that he is hosting. They're giving lip service for self-service and in giving, giving lip service in order to secure for themselves and their own purposes the blessings and the riches of God. But brothers and sisters, we have to understand that since the days of the garden, that has been our default setting. That's my default setting. I really, I have to confess that. It's your default setting, too. It takes a powerful, supernatural working of the Spirit to change those settings. 
It continues to be our default setting. It is a setting against which by the power of the Spirit we can and we must push. Believing that we belong on the basis of anything other than the triune God's gracious invitation and powerful work leads to presumption, complacence, boredom, formalism. So how do we know in those various times when we might be relying on something other than God's gracious invitation? So I would just ask yourself, how do you respond to a bad day after you've had a solid week of good Bible times in the morning? How do you react to the tension and conflict that's just a part of sinners dwelling together for worship? How do you react? And I will confess to you, the reason I'm coming up with these questions is because these are the things that evidence in my own life. How do you respond when your children don't behave? Do you become angry after all that I've done for them? Do you find yourself bristling and trotting out your resume of accomplishments like some rich young ruler at the suggestion that perhaps you haven't accomplished as much as you'd like people to think? Do you find yourself scandalized that someone would suggest you must give up your hard-won rights and possessions and positions and time and comfort and convenience, all of these burdens that we just love? How do we know then? Well, we know we recognize those who belong at the party because they are celebrating the king. Because they are rejoicing in righteousness. Because they are walking in obedience. By the way, all of those three statements mean the same thing. Celebrating the king, rejoicing in righteousness, walking in obedience, they mean the same thing. Different facets of the same thing. It's a life that celebrates the party's host by imitating the the host's characters. Notice how our passage opens. Thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come, my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it. Justice and righteousness are a common pairing in Scripture, that are two words that taken together and lived together summarize in the Hebrew mind what it means to imitate the love of the triune God. Justice and righteousness. If righteousness is the stuff of God's love, justice is what it looks like when it's lived out in the real world. But I want you to notice something. If you have your Bibles open, look. Keep justice and do righteousness. And then in verse 2, you see another pairing. Keeps the Sabbath, keeps his hand from doing evil. That's a parallel. And what what Isaiah is doing is saying these are the same things. Keep justice, do righteousness is the same as keep Sabbath and refrain from evil. You see, taken together, these four things begin to help us get a picture of the genuine triune love of God. The two pairings 
that in parallel describe the same kind of life. They fit together. They paint a complete picture. Justice is the administration of God's righteousness. Sabbath is the practice of refraining from evil and so doing what is right. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand this is the blessed life. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, is what we're talking about here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Lord. That's what we're talking about here. That blessed life. That's why he says, verse 2, Blessed is the man who does this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what we're talking about. That is the, that's the biblical vision of the blessed life. And so now we begin to think, wait a minute. There you go, sneaking in the law through the back door. The invitation is free, and now I've got to pay the debt? Is that what you're telling me? Is it a bait and switch? No, brothers and sisters. How did this happen? How is it that these people end up at this party who we don't expect to be there? Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps Sabbath. Excuse me, verse 1. Keep justice and do righteousness. And there, right after that, is your reason. For soon my salvation will come. Remember the good news. Your God reigns. Present tense. Your God reigns through this one, the servant, who doesn't look like you expect and who doesn't act like you expect, but he accomplishes all that I say. That is the place, please forgive me, that is where we are. The heart of this life that marks you as one who belongs at the party is the completed work of the servant. He's the one that has won the victory. He is the one that has spread the table before you in the midst of your enemies. He's the one that is waging war on your behalf. He is the one who is... Who is Established this party and invited you to it. And so we come and we celebrate that. You see, we are qualified by virtue of the gracious invitation. But, but that we belong at the celebration is evidenced by, by our celebration of the king. It is evidenced by our obedience. Hear me. The grace of God always precedes the, our obedience. But hear me. The grace of God always effects obedience to God. The evidence that you have received the invitation and that you belong at the celebration of the king, that you have a place at the king's table, is the faith-filled, repentant response of joy-filled, celebratory obedience. 
what our passage calls keep justice and do righteousness, keep the Sabbath and refrain from evil, what Micah calls do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before the Lord. What Isaiah will later show us involves caring for the widow and the orphan, the least, the lost, and the lonely. You see, brothers and sisters, the question about the Christian life is not the question of is it about grace or is it about law? As though we must choose between one or the other. This was Luther's mistake. The question has always been, how do these two things fit together? How do they relate? In the glory of God's great love and in the life of that great love. You see, justice is the visible exercise of God's righteousness. Sabbath is what it looks like when we refrain from evil, when we cease from our labors and enter into celebrate his and participate in his labors. Grace, you see, is the substance of the life described by the law, the life that is granted to us in Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus. It is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. This is the good news life to which we've been invited to which we belong, on which we feast. Because it is the life that is secured for us by the reign of our God through his servant, his servant Jesus. Let's go to him in prayer then.